I invite you to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 1. We'll finish chapter 1 today, and the journey is on in Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 through 33 is our text. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 to 33. I'll read it for you. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and Fools hate knowledge. If you turn at my reproof, behold, I'll pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you because I have called and you refuse to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, They shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the very word of the living God. you ever gone to Van Nuys and heard someone yelling about the end of the world? Happened to us maybe a month ago. We were at The Plant. It's a glamorous shopping center not far from here. It's got a Home Depot and an In-N-Out and a Chipotle and a few other things. But it had a, it had a loud Spanish evangelist there about a month ago. And he was on the curb with a group of others and they were taking turns first the man and then the lady and then the man again and it was all in Spanish they were saying things like uh, eres tu salvo they were talking about uh, they were talking about the end of the world uh, there was I wasn't making out all of it it was uh, a combination of of kind of poor amplification in my chafa Spanish. So, uh, but they were preaching the gospel and talking about the end of the world. And it doesn't have to be in Spanish. I'm sure you've seen a street preacher somewhere in the city with a megaphone or maybe a Bible in his hand or maybe something weirder standing on a box or a sandwich board on his, on his chest 
But street preachers, uh, open-air preachers, are unusual to us. They've been unusual in church history as well. And those who were notable for open-air preaching, famous Christians like George Whitfield, even in their times were, were looked upon with suspicion uh, because street preaching is different. Uh, hearing someone yelling at the top of their lungs uh, in a context that's jarring and unusual unsettles us. Even those who love preaching and believe the world is coming to an end and know that Jesus is the only way of salvation, sometimes a street preacher can make us uneasy. Sidewalk preachers, open-air evangelists on a busy corner in Van Nuys, yelling about the end of the world. Well, today, wisdom takes on another personification. And it's the persona of a street preacher. She... She's a lady, and this will challenge hopefully none of your complementarian convictions. It's a sentence that only makes sense to seminarians. Let he who ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The lady wisdom is a street preacher. She starts out at the beginning of this chapter crying aloud on the streets. And she speaks with the same urgency and method and tone of those street preachers that we have heard. And we're prone to question their method or their effectiveness or ask about their winsomeness or we wonder if they're rogue or, or whatever. But when you hear a street preacher, there's one thing that you're sure of. You don't question their sincerity. I mean, they mean it. They put it all out there. They're all in, in public proclamation. And and now wisdom takes on this imaginary figure of being this lady who walks into the most prominent places in the city and she starts to prophesy and preach and proclaim. And she has an audience in mind in verses 20 to 33. As wisdom is preaching on the streets saying that everyone needs to hear her voice. And as she goes to the gates, which is like going in front of City Hall in the ancient world and yelling at the mayor and the people who are bribed by the mayor. That's how it works in our world. And so she's right there in the most prominent place, speaking to the most prominent people. And it's very clear that her message is all-inclusive. It's for everyone, Everyone is the object of her sermon, but in this sermon, in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 to 33, she zeroes in on a segment of her audience. She's most interested in those who are refusing to listen to her, the ones who just walk by. She preaches to those who reject her message, and then she preaches about those who reject her message. Taking on the persona of an Old Testament prophet, a preacher, and someone who is used to being rejected, this prophetess sees things as God sees them, and she tells us how it is. She tells us what the outcome will be 
In no uncertain terms, she sees the consequences for those who reject her summons and diagnoses their condition and foretells their destiny. And in so doing, she provides to us a lesson on listening, a rebuke for rejectors, a sermon for simpletons and scoffers, a prophecy for those so naive that they don't care to consider the outcome of their life decisions. They've neglected wisdom's warnings, and now they're going to hear Lady Wisdom preach. And even if they don't listen, well, she knows exactly what will happen to them. So what is this paragraph, this little section, this poem, where wisdom sounds like a lady street preacher? What does it have for us? Well, this is a sermon for you if you don't listen to sermons. If you zone out. If it's all white noise because you've heard so many of them growing up in the church. If you're kind of just going through the motions, this sermon's for you. This sermon is for you if you've asked for advice and then ignored it. If you were taught truth but then rejected it. This sermon is for those who've been repeatedly warned but who haven't applied that warning in any meaningful way. This sermon is for the indifferent, for the obtuse. This sermon is especially clear that this lady is preaching. It's especially clearly focused on those who say, yeah... I've heard it all before. Yeah, I think I have my own way through. This is a sermon for people who don't listen to sermons. Preached by Lady Wisdom herself, directed at a group she calls the simple ones. And then it flips into a prophecy and tells us exactly what's going to happen to us if we don't heed wisdom's call. And so it's a helpful sermon, even if you're teachable, even if you're humble, even if you have your pencil out right now and you're trying to take notes and understand what God would have you do and respond. It's a sermon that puts guardrails on your teachability and encourages you to be shapeable and and learning and listening and obeying And to watch out when your heart has a tendency to be hard or indifferent. This is a sermon for all those soils that didn't produce fruit. This is a sermon that warns you the danger of not carefully listening to the word of wisdom, which is the voice of Jesus himself. And so let's listen to wisdom, the preacher It's a pretty simple paragraph. It's beautiful Hebrew poetry and dual kind of lines, A, B, A, B, A, B, all the way through verse 20 to 33. But it divides up, I think, pretty easy. Verse 20 to 21, we meet the preacher. I'll I'll introduce you to her. In verse 22 to 27, we hear her sermon. We hear her sermon. And then verse 28 to 23, we see the outcome. The sermon becomes a prophecy. The 
And she tells us exactly what happens if we refuse to listen. Well, remember at the outset the agenda of this book. And I think the best way to do that is to look at the preacher, verse 20 to 21, the preacher. Verse 20, wisdom cries aloud or shouts in the street. In the public squares, she raises her voice. Verse 21, on the highest walls, she calls out. At the entrance to the city gates, she makes her speech. Well, there she is. Lady Wisdom, this isn't the first time you'll encounter her or the last. She has a prominent role in the book of Proverbs. That is a book that is intent on teaching wisdom. Remember verse 1, chapter 1 of chapter 1, verse 2. That's how you say that in English. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Wisdom is the agenda of this book. And remember, we understand wisdom to be skillful living unto God, to be how to live a good life that honors God, how to operate in God's world in a way that will work in accordance with the world that God made and will honor the God who made you and the world you live in. That's the principles that Proverbs is trying to teach. And it's going to get practical about money and relationships and a hundred other things. But the main course of instruction, the syllabus of the book of Proverbs, says on the top of it, to get wisdom, to understand how to live. And so wisdom has already been personified in the verses we looked at last time, verses 8 through 19. And remember, that was a different scene. It wasn't a a wild-eyed woman preaching in the streets. Instead, it was a father and a mom sitting down at the table with their sons and daughters and trying to encourage them and discipline them and instruct them and give them the the equipment and the worldview and the help that they would need to navigate their life in a way that was wise and to avoid the pitfall that's out there in a fallen world, which is the enticement of sinners. Proverbs 1 verse 10, my son of sinners entice you, do not consent. And so the picture switches to this lady preacher, lady wisdom, She's contrasted in chapters to come with another lady called Lady Folly. But Lady Wisdom is the one that's preaching here, and she's shouting in the street. She's raising her voice in verse 1 in the public squares, in the marketplaces. Picture a a market crowded with people, uh, little food stalls everywhere, and people shopping and bargaining and It would be a a, a noisy din, a hum of activity, but there is this clarion sound because there is someone interrupting the normal flow of everyday life in the noisy streets and the highest walls at the entrance to the city gates where the elders sit in the ancient world. She gives a speech and it is not calm and cool and collected. She's not tapping the microphone. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Instead, she's just letting it rip, raising her voice, shouting in the streets. The urgency is as obvious as the authenticity. She means what she says, and she can preach. That's Lady Wisdom. And she is a force to be reckoned with. 
not just because of her volume, but because of the truthfulness of her message. Her agenda is to educate, instruct, to discipline, to show you how your life could be good, how your life could be better, how your life could honor God, and how it could end well for you. Her curriculum is surrounded with the fear of the Lord as the beginning of knowledge. She's reminding you of the negative implications that fools despise wisdom and instruction, that there are those who will try to suck you in to a life of murder and dishonesty and rage, but she's going to walk you through the rest of her teaching as a guide and an instructor. And so the most important thing at the outset is that you would hear her voice, that you'd put down the apple that you're shopping for, and that you would stop talking to your friend, and that you would hear this arresting voice, this screaming in the street, and realize, though the context seems abnormal and odd and uh, uncomfortable, the words that you're hearing are the most important words because they could save your very soul. Wisdom cries aloud in the streets. In the market, she raises her voice at the head of the highest walls or the the most crowded spots she calls out, and at the entrance to the city gate she makes her speech. There is not anyone who's exempt from hearing her message, the small, the large, the important, the insignificant, the rich, the poor. All of society is to hear her voice and show she hits the streets with her message. That's the preacher. What's her sermon? What's her sermon? Verse 22 the sermon begins, and it is a, what does a kid say? It's a banger. Verse 22, how long, you naive? How long, you naive? Remember, she's preaching on all the streets, to all the people, but now she zeroes in, and she wants to talk to a subset. She wants to talk to those who are ignoring her. And so she identifies them, as Proverbs is able to do, with these different character types. The most famous one we met early on, right? We know that the the danger is to be a fool. That's verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The bad guy in the book of Proverbs, the foil, the archenemy, is the fool, But it's not just the fool, there's different subspecies of fools. Just like there's different kinds of dogs, Labradors, Pugs, Golden Retrievers, Labradoodles. I can only think of those kinds of dogs. There's different kinds of fools. Fools are a large and general category. And the different characters in the book of Proverbs are, they've been called idealized portraits idealized portraits. Here's what one author says. They denote people exemplary for their virtue and wisdom, or especially despicable for their evil. The literary name for this is caricature, portraits of people with features exaggerated for easy identification. 
The positive figures serve as ideals for the faithful to guide their conduct and character formation. The negative figures are exaggerated portraits of those who do not embrace the covenant so the faithful can recognize these traits in themselves and flee them. Let me read that line to you again. The negative features are exaggerated portraits of those who do not embrace the covenant, who do not seek after God's ways and God's wisdom. So the faithful can recognize these traits in themselves and flee them. And so though she is zeroing in on what she's going to call the naive or the simple, she recognizes, and we all need to recognize, that there's naivete in us. There's simplicity in us. There's a tendency for us to all be foolish. You don't have to be a fool to be foolish. And so she's trying to prevent us from falling deeper into the wrong way, to recognize those negative traits in ourselves and to run from them. And so who is this character type? Well, obviously, we'll learn so much about the wise. That's the main heroic figure in the book of Proverbs. And we'll learn so much about the, the opposite of the wise, which is the fool, the nabal, the one who is, is the exact opposite of wisdom. He is the one who resists every kind of part of the covenant. He is a hostile unbeliever. But wisdom is concerned here with someone called the simple. The ESV says the simple. Uh, this is an important concept, and I don't love to translate it simple, because simple to us, I don't know that that word means much to us. Maybe it has a negative connotation if you're thinking, you know, intelligent versus simple-minded. But simple just doesn't seem to do the job in English, at least in my experience speaking the English language for these 39 years. It took me a while to learn English. So what are they? Well, I think the word naive is better. Because the concept of the simple in Hebrew is the person who is uncommitted. The person who is wavering. The fool is, is hard. He's opposed. He's antagonistic. The simple is on the fence. The simple has balance. He thinks the fool's got some good points and the wise have some good points. The simple is a person who's not fully or firmly or totally committed. Not to wisdom, not to folly. And therefore the simple is someone who is easily led astray. Proverbs 14, verse 15, explains the simple really well. The simple, Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. The word simple is associated with the concept of being open-minded, and that's a very positive attribute in our world, right? Somebody open-minded, uh, they're, they're uh, learning, they're open to new ideas, they're, they're teachable, we would say, but in the Hebrew Bible, the open means the door of their head is wide open and any dumb thing can come in. Anything that's true or untrue, anything that's harmful or helpful, it's all welcome in the simple's mind because he doesn't make a decision about anything. He believes everything. This is a very common personality. This is a very common worldview. Even in churches, 
There's just people who want to be nice to everybody, who want to love everybody, and who agree with everybody. Don't you agree? You fell into it just now. I mean, the simple person says, yeah, that sounds good. So does that. Usually they're influenced more by the style of the communication than the content of it. And the simple person is just very naive. They think everyone is telling the truth. They think everyone has equal standing and equal voice and equal influence. They have an egalitarian approach towards knowledge and and they assume that, that everyone is out for their good. And so they think that the best way to come up with their view of the world is just to take a little bit from everybody because there's truth everywhere, right? That's familiar, isn't it? A lot of people think like that. And the Proverbs call them simple or simpleton or the naive. I like naive. And what does she say? She zeroes in verse 22. How long, you naive, will you, the word there is love, will you love your naivete? Sorry to switch to French. Your simple ways. Your, how long will you love being the way you are? Acheb, a Hebrew word that means love, to befriend, to have affection for. You see, it's not just that they're, it's not that they're dumb. The simple person isn't a dummy. The fool is, is more of an idiot, which is a different thing. It's got a mean edge to that word idiot. The simple person isn't a dum-dum. It's not like a low IQ uh, person. The simplicity that they're demonstrating, that naivete they're demonstrating, is their fault. It's not that they just don't know. It's that they're committed. They love to be on the fence. They love to be wide open to everything. And this proclamation that wisdom the lady preacher is making is to these resistant people who are refusing to change their ways. And so she asks them a rhetorical question. How long, you naive, will you love your naivete? And then she goes on and says, How long will mockers delight themselves? And now we're looking at another word that's different than the simple, uh, different than the fool, It's not its own category in the book of Proverbs. It's what they call a co-referential. It just means a kind of a synonymous caricature. Words like the wicked, words like the scoffer. Proverbs 21, 24 teaches us what the scoffer is. It says, the scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So a scoffer is a ramped up version of, of the prideful, the arrogant, the foolish. The scoffer is an open mocker. The scoffer is one who hears truth and insists on the stupidity of the truth and looks at those who walk with wisdom and says, what fools are they? It's this reversal and a harsh edge on the mocker. And so she says, how long will mockers delight themselves with mocking? In other words, when will the cynical stop being cynical? Uh, When will the naive stop being naive? And then finally, when will fools stop hating knowledge? The fools are hating knowledge. One commentator, his name is Fox, 
He says the polar mindsets that define the basic shape of a person's character are laid out here. Polar mindsets. You're either naive, mocking, foolish, or you are wise and loving knowledge and separating from those kind of concepts. And so her sermon gets real direct because she calls these people out, the naive, the mockers, and the fools who embrace everything, that's the naive, who mock everything, that's the mocker or the cynical, and who refuse to gain right wisdom in God's way of thinking, that's fools. And so where does her sermon go from there? Because she zeroed in on these people who are stuck in their intentional ignorance. Well, she uses a, prof- a prophet word. If this was the prophet Jeremiah, if you read this in Hebrew, you'd think and just ripped it out of the Bible somewhere and just heard this word in verse 23, just read this little line, you'd think that's got to be a line from Jeremiah. That's got to be a line from Ezekiel. Or if you had it a New Testament version, you'd think this is Jesus or John the Baptist. Because here's what she says in verse 23. Turn back to my rebuke. It's the Hebrew word sub. It means to turn away. So you see the the nice part of my head and then you see the bald part of my head. It's a full turn. I think the front's kind of the bald part too, but it's a turning away. It's a 180. It's, It's a word that we, it's a concept Uh, In the New Testament of repentance, it's the call that the prophets made to the people to turn away from their false gods, to come back to Yahweh, to turn from sin and embrace righteousness, to reject covenant unfaithfulness and to embrace covenant faithfulness. And so she says to the naive, the mockers, the fools, to those who hate to listen to the voice of wisdom, repent. Turn back to my rebuke. And she makes them a clear statement of her intention. You see, wisdom, she's not just doing what the mockers do. She's not just making fun of them, though it's very clear that what they're doing is genuinely foolish and worthy of mockery and even sarcasm and indictment at times. What she's doing is offering them something with clear intention. And what she's offering them in this sermon, here's the point of her sermon in verse 23. A sermon has you know, an audience, which is the people in verse 22, the naive, the mockers, the fools. A sermon has a, a propositional statement or a thesis. What's this sermon about? I said this sermon is for people who don't want to listen to sermons. That, that's the proposition of my sermon. What's the proposition of her sermon? It's turned back to my rebuke, and then I will pour forth, the Hebrew's interesting here, I'll pour forth my breath to you. Hebrew word for breath or spirit. She'll spew out her breath to you. Translators are are not keen to translate that spirit because it'll remind people of the Holy Spirit, of the prophecy in Joel 2. And I I don't think that's probably what, what Lady Wisdom is talking about here. What she's saying is, I'll pour forth my breath. In other words, everything I have to say, everything that's in me, I want to give out to you. I'll hold nothing back. I'll spew forth 
All my wisdom, all my thoughts, all my intentions, all my spirit, the fullness of what I have to say, I I will spit all this out on you and I'll make known to you my sayings. Lady Wisdom isn't just some ornery preacher condemning the fools, condemning the naive, condemning the mockers. Instead, she is genuinely offering them hope. She's telling them the only way back, the only way out of there is to turn to my rebuke, face my correction. And when you do, when you turn, when you repent, it will not be condemnation. It will not be judgment. It will be a free offer of all that she has. Everything that Lady Wisdom has inside of her, her entire worldview, all the fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge, everything, she will breathe it out, pour it out on those who would turn from foolishness, turn from mocking, turn from being naive and embracing everything and actually listen to the voice of wisdom, which is the voice of God. She will pour it all out and will make known to you my sayings. Remember at the very beginning of Proverbs, she says to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and the riddles, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. Let the one who understands obtain guidance. That's what she's offering you. You don't have to stay stuck in your sin and folly. If you've been listening but not listening to sermons your whole life and you know what God wants you to do but you refuse to do it, guess what? You're in huge trouble with God. But guess what else? He's offering you an opportunity to turn back, to receive correction. And that will require deep humility. It'll require an abandonment of your pride. It will mean that you have to say, I can't keep going like I'm going anymore. I can't keep walking after lusts and walking after my dumb friends, and walking after disobedience to God, I have to actually turn my life around and follow this voice of this woman crawling in, calling in the streets saying, how long will you keep being so naive? How long will you delight in mocking? How much will you hate true life-giving knowledge? Turn at my reproof. I'll pour out everything that I have, all my intentions for you, and I will make my words known to you. What an incredible intention. What a merciful and gracious offer. The words of wisdom are words that could change your life. Peterson translates verse 23 like this. About face, I can revise your life. Look, I'm ready to pour out my spirit on you. I'm ready to tell you all I know. That's good. About face. And when you do, you can have all of it. God will hold nothing back from you. You will know how to live and navigate and thrive and survive and worship 
and love and die in this world in a way that will honor your Creator. But they're not doing that, are they? There's a lot of disobedient people that aren't listening to the intention of the sermon in verse 23. And so the intention becomes an indictment in verse 24. And so what is the indictment? 24 and 25, because I cried out and you refused to listen. I stretched out my hand and none gave me heed. I mean, you hear in not only the volume of her voice, but in the posture of wisdom. I mean, this isn't a, a condemnation, closed door thing. This is arms wide open. That's the Hebrew uh, picture. I stretch out my hand, but none gives heed. It's like wisdom is seeing all these people who've rejected her voice. God is seeing all these people rejecting his ways and his words, and they're drowning, and they keep going under the water, and they're sputtering and coughing, and his hand is stretched out, and they refuse to take hold of it. That's how hard the sinner's heart is. I stretch out my hand, and none gives heed. The indictment continues. You decline all my counsel. Verse 25. You've ignored or declined or turned down every bit of my advice and my rebuke you do not accept. Have you ever given anybody advice? Has anybody ever called you on the phone and said like, hey man, I don't know what I should do. Should I buy this car? Should I date this girl? Should I go to class today? What should I do? And you said, well, I think you should go to class, date that girl, and buy the car. And they say, thanks, bruh. And they don't buy the car. The next day, they break up with the girl, and they don't go to class. And you find out about it, maybe the day after that, because you say, how's the car? How's the girl? How was class? And they say, ah, you know, it's funny you ask. I decided not to get the car, you know, just, you know, interest rates. I broke up with the girl because, you know, the feels... It's just, it's just a chemistry, spark, et cetera, other biblical concepts. And I just couldn't go to class because there was actually a lion outside my apartment. So, but thanks, though, for taking my call the other day. You ever had that experience? Pastors have it all the time. It's the most fun part of being a pastor. They ask you what they should do. You try to hold back because I'm not the boss. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not omniscient. I don't know what you should do. But when it's something that's like a Bible thing, I can make it really clear. But if you push me, I got an opinion. I got tons of opinions. Great ones. And so if you ask me, like, should I, should I skateboard? Should I learn to skateboard? I'll, I'll tell you what I think. 
I got no Bible on my side on that. But I'll, I'll tell you, if you, if you really want to know, I'll tell you. At first, I'll make you ask three or four times because I'm not the boss of you. But then when I do tell you, dude, I think, Riley, I think you'd be a great skateboarder. Probably a longboard, you know. Weight distribution. And then you tell me, you know, I decided that I don't want to skateboard. I'm mildly bugged. Because remember, you pushed me and told me, like, I really value what you think. I want to know your opinion. What, 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 you know, what are some reasons you want to do this? And I, I gave you the reasons. Weight distribution, longboard, trucks and wheels, etc. These are the weirdest examples I'm giving today. It's one thing to ignore your friend's advice, your pastor's advice. It's something entirely different to listen to the voice of God and say, I decline, verse 25, all your counsel. Oh, your rebuke? I don't accept that. The indictment is, she cried out and you refused. She stretched out her hand and you wouldn't give heed. She gave counsel, you declined it. She rebuked you and you rejected the rebuke. And so now it goes from the intention, verse 23. This is all the sermon, the intention, the indictment, verse 24, 25. Verse 26, the warning, verse 26 and 27, a warning. Okay, So you won't listen to God's voice. You won't obey Him. He's got a warning for you. And Lady Wisdom's going to preach the very voice of God. Yes, I will laugh when your disaster happens. I will scoff when your calamity comes. Verse 27, when your destruction comes like a storm... And your disaster arrives like a whirlwind. I hate when they translate that hurricane. It's too Florida, man. And your disaster arrives like a whirlwind. And when distress and anguish come upon you, that's the warning. It's a warning that's on the brink of turning in verse 28 to a prophecy. But her, her, her sermon has a So what happens if I don't? So what are you going to do about it? So I I reject the rebuke. I didn't listen. I mock. I'm naive. I'm staying open to everything. I'm keeping my same way. I'm staying in my same kind of mindset. What are you going to do about it? And she answers and says, well, I'm going to laugh when disaster comes. Does that seem harsh to you? It's not harsh when you are repeatedly told disaster is coming. There's a whirlwind on its way. I'm telling you, I'm counseling you, you've got to turn. I'm rebuking you because you're going the wrong way. If you had a friend in the insurance industry, and we all unfortunately do, mm -hmm, and he told you, hey, I'm in the insurance industry. 
and you live in a floodplain and a fire zone. In fact, it's likely this year that you will burn and drown in your house. And here's what you need to know. You also live on a fault line. It's a fault line of flood and fire. You're going to look at your friend in the insurance agency, industry, whatever it's called, and you're going to say, dude, you're just trying to up my premiums, whatever those are. And you're not going to listen to your friend, right? And he says, look, 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 look. I promise. This is not just because I get like unlimited free trips to the Swiss, the Swiss Alps from you know, the, the brokers. I, I'm telling you, you live on a fault line in a floodplain in a wildfire zone. You just got to up your stuff so that it's covered. A hundred bucks a month. A hundred bucks a month. For maybe, forget about it. I'm keeping my hundred bucks. And then the next month comes and there's an earthquake and half your house falls down. And then there's a wildfire two days later. And then a flood comes in and your golden retriever drowns. Could have insured him too. You can insure insure anything. I don't think your insurance friend is going to get out a birthday hat and a kazoo and go, I think they're going to feel bad. But they're going to have a big old can of, I told you so, Right? They're going to open up the can of I told you so and at least like go, remember when I called you? Now ramp that up to the very voice of God. He's not weighing possibilities here. He's not thinking about probability. He's telling you how it's actually going to be. He told you that if you refuse to listen to his voice, you will die. And that's literally what God says about disobedience. Disobedience and sin leads to death. The simple person's been warned that they're immature, that they're easily misled, and they've been counseled that they need to get their head on right. Like the prophet Ezekiel said in Ezekiel 33, Why will you die, O house of Israel? Why will you die? You don't have to die. You don't have to die in your unrighteousness. You're being offered salvation. So when terror strikes like a storm, when God told you that calamity was coming like a whirlwind, like distress and anguish were coming upon you, when you were told that hell is real and salvation is free and Jesus is the only way and the Bible is the very word of God and following after your lust, your sin, and your pleasure, and your pride will eventually sink you. And then when you're sunk, it is right and righteous of God to say, I'm going to laugh at your calamity. I'll mock when terror strikes you. Because you were warned and offered rescue. It's a sad place to be. 
But that's where the fool, the naive, and the mocker will end up. How could you be sure? If verse 26 and 27 is simply a warning, verse 28 to 33 is a prophecy. The sermon closes by looking like all street preachers love to do at the end of the world. It goes full-blown John MacArthur, Revelation chapter 4, at the end. He talks about what's going to happen, what is in God's timeline, and how this whole thing will unfold. Because their life fell apart. It will fall apart, apart from God. And what will happen when their life falls apart? Verse 28. Then they'll call out to me. They'll call upon me. But I will not answer. They will search for me diligently, you could say, but not find me. You see, the prophecy is is that when you're in trouble, you will call out to God. But there's a good chance that it'll be too late. And I wonder if you think that's not fair of God. Like God is obligated to answer you whenever you call to Him, no matter what rejection you've done in the past. But that's not how it works. That's why Jesus has an immediacy immediacy to the need for repentance and following after Him. Today is the day of salvation. Behold, today is the day of the Lord. I mean, there's a time comes when you're, a time will come when you're out of time. There's a time when you run out. When you could have sought the Lord, but now you can't. You could have called out to Him, but now you can't. That's why it's so foolish to hear a message about repentance and wisdom and think, I'm going to put a pin in that. I'll come back to that later. You see, the problem isn't that God lacks mercy. It's that your cry isn't even genuine then. Because when you hit rock bottom, guess what remains the same? Verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and the fear of Yahweh they did not choose. That was the case before and that's the case now. You can call out to God because of total disaster and destruction of your life. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your heart is to actually listen to Him, to gain His knowledge, because you actually fear Him and want to live in reverential awe and respect of who God is and what He wills. They didn't want my counsel. They dismissed all my correction. You see, the pattern of your life, if it is the pattern of a fool, of of the naive, if it is the dismissing of correction, if it is the rejection of godly counsel, that indictment and warning is prophetic because that's how it's going to go. How do we know that? Well, that's what the Bible says all over. Let me give you two quick examples. We don't have time. I'm going to tell you them. Now, where has the time gone? Deuteronomy 30. Moses, the preacher. 
is between two mountains. And he says to the people on these mountains, choose this day whom you will serve. That's what he says on the mountains. There's only two choices. And in Moses' sermon in Deuteronomy 30, it's blessings or cursings. And he puts it in front of them. And then the psalmist, in the worship book that God's people will always have before them and have always had before them, in Psalm chapter 1, tells us very simply, there are only two ways to live, the way of the righteous and the way of the sinner. One leads to life and blessing, and one leads to destruction. Jesus will say there are only two foundations on which you can build your life. That which, Matthew 7, that which is going to shatter and fall, and that which is going to be solid and stand. And Lady Wisdom says it in the exact same way. It's like Psalm 1, but it's Proverbs chapter 1, verse 31. So they will eat from the fruit of their path. That word is so big in the book of Proverbs. You're going to all name your firstborn son Derek. That's the Hebrew word, Derek. Derek. It's probably more like Derek. But Derek is way, path, journey, the, the route you're on, the direction of your life. It's literally like this thing right here, this thing in the middle aisle. That would be called a derech, a path. It's what you walk on. It's symbolic, though, of the way that you lead your life. It's the same language of Psalm 1. And here he says, you'll eat from the fruit of your path. In other words, there is a downhill tendency in your life that you're going to walk the way you're walking. And if you're walking in disobedience to God right now, well, you can trust that in five years you'll be walking in disobedience to God in the same way you are now. That the fruit that you're eating will be on the path that you're on. That your way, your road is unchanged. And so she says, they will eat from the fruit of their path, their way, their road, their path, their, their lifestyle. And from their own schemes or counsel, remember they rejected God's counsel, and so it's their own counsel, they'll have their fill. Your curriculum will be whatever's in your head. You'll just keep believing like you believe. You don't listen to sermons now, you won't listen to sermons then. You don't heed rebukes now, you won't heed rebukes then. Instead, you'll surround yourself with those who think like you and believe like you and follow after what you follow after. And you'll fill your stuff up with bad advice. And here's the ultimate fate, verse 32. Here's the prophecy in perfect clarity. Because the turning of the naive, of these open-minded, simple, naive people, will kill them. And the complacency of fools will destroy them. You see, it's their refusal to turn away from their path that's going to lead to their death. I mean, it's not even poetry anymore. It's the simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency, the indifference, the drifting of fools destroys them. But then the sermon ends with this moment of hope. And we need this, verse 33, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure. 
Whoever listens, remember the Hebrew word for listens is the same for the Hebrew words for obey. The one who obeys me will dwell in security and calm without any fear of harm or disaster. What a beautiful ending to a sermon for people that don't listen to sermons. What a provocative closure for a lady who's trying to save your life and give you one last word that reminds you that you're either hearing God or you're not hearing God. One of my favorite sayings of Jesus that appears all over his ministry in the Gospels, in different sermons, at different places, in different parables, is when he says, let him who has ears hear. Let him who has ears hear. Jesus knew that everyone listening to his voice, even as he walked this earth and spoke with his human voice to other human people, would not truly and genuinely be hearing him. And so he so often concluded or prefaced his warnings by saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And I think Lady Wisdom is saying the exact same thing because her voice is the voice of Jesus. Father, thank you for showing us and reminding us and warning us the danger of declining your counsel. Help us especially those who are deep and lost in their sin, who refuse to repent. Help them to do that about face. By the work of your Spirit, convict them of their sin and drive them to find mercy in you. That promise that you can revive our life, that you're ready to pour your Spirit out, that you're ready to, to tell us everything that you know, to unleash all of wisdom on us. May that be compelling and irresistible to those who have ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen.